Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Our guest on the podcast is Kentucky native Nancy Grant, a field naturalist, print journalist, and book author. Her latest book is Binge Birding, 20 Days with Binoculars, about her nearly 4,000-mile solo road trip from Kentucky to the Texas Gulf Coast. Some listeners may recognize her byline. She wrote the award-winning monthly Future of Electricity column for Kentucky Living Magazine, from 2002 to 2016, as well as feature articles for that statewide publication. As a field naturalist, she studies birds and their habitats throughout the Eastern United States and frequently speaks at wildlife refuge and parks about how to have more fun exploring the world of birds. She is also a member of, and proudly we say, of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, and we'll talk uh, to her about what she talks to others about. She's also a member of the American Society of Journalists and Authors. Nancy, uh, so glad to have you with us today. Well, good day to you, Bill. I'm glad to be here. You have um, quite a, a story to tell, and let's just begin with what I would consider to be uh, the most uh exciting part of your writing life, but you may disagree with me and just tell me so. But your book on uh, birding and the the trip you took uh, all the way down to the Texas Gulf Coast uh, sounds fascinating to me. I um, have uh, read your book, and uh, I think what drew me was not only uh, the cover and uh, what what uh, the way you, I'm sure, helped design the uh, your trip, but uh, I spent some time in Texas and am uh, somewhat familiar with the Gulf Coast and uh, traveled. And, and uh, I, I can't imagine uh, spending so much time there observing uh, the fowl, uh, the birds uh, that one um, runs into on the Texas Gulf Coast. So let's uh, let's start with your book and uh, we'll work our way into what you are available to talk to people about when you represent Kentucky Humanities as a member of our Speakers Bureau. So what um, what first uh, put in your mind that you'd like to, to make a trip uh, all the way from Kentucky to Texas? Well, I have been in Texas several times on trips to the American Southwest, but not specifically to go birding. And that particular April, I was able to put together three weeks where I could put all my responsibilities at home on hold and devote those three weeks to looking at birds. I've traveled a great deal. I know how to plan a trip. And in the first part of the book, I do mention that, which makes it fun for other readers A lot of my readers are curious about birds, but they're basically armchair travelers. But there are other people who would like to go exploring to another place. And I have a lot of helpful hints about that. 
I had a very simple plan, mostly just look at birds and explore the habitats. I wanted to go camping a little bit. And I thought, well, maybe I might go horseback riding because I enjoy that here in Kentucky as well. But the main focus of the book was to look at all the different birds there. We do have a lot of birds in common, particularly during spring and fall migration. But then there are specific habitats in Texas that are unlike what we have in Kentucky. And I thought it would be fun to compare those habitats and to compare and contrast the birds. So the book is all about natural history. It's filled with observations of the birds I saw, but it's also a travelogue. So you get to meet the people I met and you find out what I ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner most days. <laughs> and of course, the goofy things that do happen when you're traveling. It was an exciting adventure. I did find more than 150 species of birds. And I met wonderful people who helped me understand those particular habitats when I'm out exploring as a field naturalist, I'm not just trying to figure out what bird is that. I'm trying to figure out what is that bird doing and why is it in this particular habitat at this particular time? There's a relationship among the plants the birds, the other animals, particularly their food, which can be insects or fish, or in the case of some hawks, it's actually other birds. And I want to explore all those relationships and bring the readers right into that scene. And to do that, um, requires a great deal of effort. It took a long time after I returned home to figure out what the important features were and how to make that, write it so that people feel right there on the scene with me. And I do know that I have readers not just in the United States, but in Canada. I also have readers in Great Britain and in Germany. The book is written in English, but it is available in nine or 10 countries around the world because people are curious about the birds in North America, even if they don't live here. You said there were uh, similarities between the habitats in Kentucky and and Texas, and I'm curious about what you found in between on your trip from Kentucky uh, to Texas. Do you run into, uh, particularly in the neighboring states, uh, the southern states, uh, also uh, similarities in our uh, bird um, habitat and uh, the areas and, and, and really the, the kinds of birds uh, that you observed? Well, there are many similarities. As you move, uh, and I should talk about the route I took, uh, I went 
uh, straight south through Kentucky, through Tennessee, then through Alabama, then over into Louisiana, and finally to Texas. It is almost a thousand miles when you start from Louisville just to get to the Texas border. And through those various states, you're basically going downhill uh, as you get closer to sea level. And the forest cover is different along um, I-65 through Kentucky and Tennessee. Then it changes again in Alabama. Then you get into much more swampy areas. Uh, in uh, <clears throat> Louisiana, Mississippi, then to Texas. So a lot of people don't realize that here in Kentucky, we do have swamps. Uh, here in the Louisville area, we have a swamp called Caperton Swamp, which is very small, uh, probably just a few acres. And it's caused by rainwater collecting on the limestone underlayment near the Ohio River. But if you go to western Kentucky, over there, there is a huge bald cypress swamp. And that is near Henderson. It's an area called the sloughs. And the type of birds... <clears throat> that like that habitat is similar to the birds that I found when I was at Lake Charles in Louisiana, which is also a bald cypress swamp. That's where I went out on a boat with a great guy. And I saw some birds that you would also see here in Kentucky, a great blue heron, a great egret, and I did see solitary sandpiper, which I often see solitary sandpipers here in the Louisville area on a mud flat at Putney Pond. But then I saw a different kind of bird there, the black-bellied whistling duck, which mm -hmm. is very rare for that duck to make it as far north as Kentucky. What, what are they native of, uh, or not really native of, but where do you find them more than you, you do in Kentucky? Well, the black-bellied whistling duck is fairly easy to find anywhere along the Gulf Coast, Florida, uh, over, I mean, just the whole horseshoe of the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. And then another thing that happened was in Texas, uh, there are a great many birds that we have in Kentucky for the summer that go to Central and South America during our winter months and in the Caribbean. And when those birds are ready to return to Kentucky, uh, they make landfall along the Texas Gulf Coast. So you can see those birds several weeks before they show up in Kentucky, which is a very exciting thing. Uh, and the, some of the ones that come to mind are the wood warblers, uh, like the worm-eating warbler or the, uh, let's say the black and white warbler. 
And then of course the ruby-throated hummingbirds. Now, Texas does have many other species of hummingbirds that do not come as far north as Kentucky. So that was fun to see and meet those other kinds of hummingbirds and learn the subtle little differences between them. So in uh, sort of a, a nutshell, uh, if you were uh, selling your book to a general audience, what would they find uh, fascinating uh, that you haven't mentioned uh, about uh, uh, binge birding and, uh, and your trip? It's, it's as much a travelogue as it is a, a birding book, is it not? Yes, and when I speak at national wildlife refuges or at parks and do have copies of the book there to autograph for people, I do talk about that, that the book is about natural history. By that, I mean it's accurate descriptions of the birds and their behavior and the habitats, but it's fun. You do get to, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you find out what I ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and all the quirky things. I had some very odd things happen in hotels. Uh, I had some funny stuff happen. I camped for three nights at Goose Island State Park in Texas, and that was interesting. Uh, I like to say that readers will feel like they're in the front seat, in the passenger seat with me, and that they're out on the trail. What was interesting about uh, uh, your camping uh, adventure uh, for three nights there in Texas? Well, every camping trip is unique. And this one, the campground was absolutely beautiful. Um, the dominant uh, plant there is a type of oak that has, doesn't look like our oak trees. It has gnarly branches that spread out and it was just very different from any campground in the Ohio River Valley. And of course, a nylon tent is not soundproof mm -hmm. as anybody who's been camping knows. And I often end up waking up much earlier than I intended to because the birds begin singing long before the sun is above the horizon. And I did hear a very puzzling sound, which I at first mistook for somebody starting an outboard motor, but it was actually a bird. And in the book, I explain what bird it is. I'm not going to spoil the surprise here. <laughs> okay. And one of the other things, of course, I think every camping trip I've ever been on, uh, I have been rained on. And I got really wet uh, at Goose Island. And that causes its own set of problems. But Goose Island State Park, to help people understand where that is, is in the Fulton Rockport area of Texas, which you may remember uh, was devastated by a hurricane. I was there in April and the hurricane came in late August, early September. 
and I was in touch with some of the people. The, uh, the grocery store I went to was severely damaged. Uh, and so, but one of the other things I do talk about in the book, I met, I went to places that had been devastated by previous hurricanes. And the immediate aftermath of a hurricane is devastating, but the plants and animals that live along the Texas Gulf Coast have grown up with hurricanes and they have methods of coping with it. It's quite interesting to see how the vegetation recovers and how the birds come back to an area at w much quicker than a lot of people might think. Well, Nancy, uh, that's a, uh, a fascinating story in itself. Um, I have a couple more questions uh, uh, to uh, you about uh, birding in Kentucky and then just about being a, a naturalist, your writing uh, ability skill. Um, and we're going to talk with uh, Nancy Grant uh, a bit more right after we hear from our underwriter, Spalding University. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Nancy, um, I'm familiar uh, somewhat with um, the, the birds that everyone would know uh, in Kentucky, or at least the birds that maybe uh, aren't in your backyard, but that you have to travel uh, some distance to see, uh, but, but well worth it. Uh, we have, uh, as you well know, bald eagles uh, that nest in, in Kentucky. Um, we have the uh, Sandhill Crane uh, uh, that uh, is uh, uh, of great interest. Uh, many others uh, that are uh, common. I, I don't think you'd find them in your backyard uh, feeder, uh, but uh, th there have to be others. What, what, is, what is interesting and what would you suggest to people that are are traveling the state who need to get to know the state better and that are interested in, in identifying the birds that they see uh, along the way or in our state parks or in our natural areas. Uh, give us an idea of what, what, what awaits us. All right. The first talk that I give through the Speakers Bureau is called Where the Birds Are, Exploring Kentucky's Varied Habitats. And in that talk, I like to take people on a virtual tour of the state where, you know, Kentucky's about 38,000 square miles. And we have so many different habitats. There are more than 300 bird species that use Kentucky for all our part of their lives. And the reason we have this wonderful variety is because we have different landforms and different habitats from one side of the state to the other. 
And in that talk, I help people see what those habitats are. We meet about 30 different birds that, as you say, most of the ones in my talk are not typically found in a suburban or even rural backyard. And I talk about what foods birds need and what other resources they need during the year. One of the best ways to find out about all of the bird life in Kentucky is to check with your public library. They have wonderful collections of books about the birds, but also about our state parks. We also have a national park, Mammoth Cave. Uh, most people go to Mammoth Cave to explore underground. But above ground, Mammoth Cave is truly a gem for bird watching and for wildflowers. It's astonishingly lovely. And in the spring months and often in the fall, there are guided hikes at Mammoth Cave. There are also often guided hikes at our state parks. And then we also have the state nature preserve system. And a good resource to find those kinds of information is to go online and look at websites. And then you can also often get connected through Facebook groups uh, that will help explore and learn about this wonderful, more than 300 kinds of birds. It's a paradise for bird watchers. Nancy, tell me about your uh, your love affair, uh, which a lot of us have with hummingbirds, and uh, why <laughs> they are so special. Well, I you know I don't have a favorite bird, but it is clear to me that a lot of people would say hummingbird if you ask them what their favorite bird is. They're enchanting little creatures. And they are only found in this hemisphere, in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, and North America. So the other talk I give through the Speakers Bureau is called Hummingbirds and Flowers, a Love-Love Relationship. And what I talk about in that often comes as a surprise to people who are used to watching ruby-throated hummingbirds at artificial feeders in their backyard filled with uh, sugar water. The natural food for hummingbirds is plant nectar, flower nectar. And the relationship between hummingbirds and that nectar is really a love-love situation because the plants that attract hummingbirds do so not because they are operating a bed and breakfast and just want to feed the hummingbirds. They're doing it because the action of the hummingbird drinking the nectar is vital to pollination. And that's the way the plants reproduce with the help of the hummingbirds. Insects like butterflies and moths and beetles get all the uh, PR as plant pollinators, but hummingbirds serve this role 
for certain native plants. And that's what I talk about in that talk. It's a lot of fun. We pretend to be birds in that talk and we pretend to be plants in that talk so that we can understand this very intimate relationship between an animal and a plant. It's a lot of fun. The hummingbirds uh, in Kentucky, uh, are they all migratory? Yeah, <clears throat> ruby-throated hummingbirds go south of us to the Caribbean and South America, across the Gulf of Mexico. They fly across that nonstop and spend our winter months where it's warm and where there's plants blooming that they can drink the nectar. Then the ruby-throated hummingbirds come to us, come north in the spring, they begin to arrive in April and stay with us during the spring and summer months and then go back and, and migrate back down. Now in the fall, another species of hummingbird often turns up in Kentucky on its way south. And there have been isolated cases of one hummingbird hanging around somebody's feeder in the Ohio River Valley through the winter, but it's extremely rare. They are migratory birds in Kentucky. If you were going to go to one uh, uh, spot in Kentucky, uh, more, more than one, but uh, to observe a particular uh, bird at a particular time of, of the summer or fall, what would that be? Oh, goodness. I don't know. It's like asking me to pick a favorite bird. I don't know that I have a favorite place, but there are certain places, and I've already mentioned Mammoth Cave. It's very rich in bird life, but there are uh, two other places I think I would mention. The uh, Minor Clark Fish Hatchery, which is outside of Moorhead, Kentucky, is a uh, operated by the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. They raise fish there to stock our lakes and rivers. And as a byproduct of that activity, they have to drain those ponds. And in the spring and fall, there's always two or three of the ponds that are not filled up with water and fish. It's kind of a muddy, sloppy mess at the bottom. And you can see some really interesting shorebirds there, as well as there, there is a bald eagle uh, that lives in the neighborhood. Mm. And uh, during the warmer months, you'll see osprey and you'll see a uh, uh, belted kingfisher, you'll see green heron, great blue heron, mm. great egret. So that's a fun place. I do need to caution people that it, the rules at the fish hatchery are different and you can drive certain areas and then you can walk certain areas up until three o'clock in the afternoon. So you have to check mm. the website. And give that. us that name again, please. It's minor, M-I-N-O-R-E, the middle initial, minor E Clark State Fish Hatchery in Moorhead. Okay. And then another place that's really interesting would be at any time of the year, but I would recommend either of, well, the whole area of the land between the lakes, 
mm-hmm. because we have uh, that is in the far western section of the state and we get migratory waterfowl over there in great numbers including the american white pelican mm-hmm. which is a different bird from the brown pelican that people who vacation in Florida are familiar with. Another good place I've already mentioned is the sloughs where we get flocks of 5,000 and more of snow geese and greater white fronted geese. Those are very cool places. Um, Also, there are tiny little parks scattered here and there that are enormously productive uh, and attractive to birds. There's one in the Louisville area that called um, Drought, D-R-A-U-T, Drought Park, that is right behind the Mall St. Matthews and a few blocks from a major hospital. You see traffic zooming back and forth, mm. and it's an eBird hotspot. I myself have seen more than 70 species of birds in that park. The mm-hmm. paved walking loop is just a mile, and it's only about mm, 10 acres of land, but it is chock full of birds every day of the year. Well, thank goodness it's protected, too, and and will be there even in the middle of uh, suburbia. Exactly. Uh, It's it's a great little gem, and people can use Google Maps and just ask parks near me. And any county that you're in in Kentucky, you're likely to turn up a place that you can go and look for birds. Nancy, what is it that you enjoy? Uh, and we can certainly tell um, that you do enjoy your, your life as a birder, but as a nature writer um, and as a naturalist, what is it that, uh, that you, you uh, love about the work that you do? Well, I like all of it except proofreading, but uh, any writer <laughs> will tell you that. There are lots of different types of nature writing. And what I do as a field naturalist, I'm involved in natural history. That is to say, I'm writing about the lives of animals and plants. There are other ways that people write about nature. I'm thinking early on of the English romantic poets who used nature as inspiration to talk about their own feelings. And there have been many essayists who do that. Uh, uh, And then when you get into natural history writing, you're talking about an accurate portrayal of what you have observed or what scientists are doing. And I have a great sense of curiosity. It's why I'm a journalist in general. And my specialty as a print journalist has been for many years to explain complicated scientific and engineering concepts to general audiences. And there's something of that in writing about natural history. Not everyone knows what a phyloplume feather is or that birds in fact have six kinds of feathers. And so when I'm talking about those things, I have to think about 
what the base of knowledge my reader might have, and then stop along the way to explain things and to help them understand the delights of the natural world. It's very complex and it's marvelous, but I don't talk about my emotions other than my excitement because I've discovered something new. And so that's what makes writing about birds so fascinating to me because I can share this with other people and spark their curiosity a little bit so that they'll have more fun when they're outdoors. Well, Nancy uh, Grant can bring her excitement and her knowledge uh, about uh, uh, the natural world uh, to your organization, uh, your church group, uh, your social gathering, uh, your school. Um, as a member of the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, all of that information is on our website at kyhumanities.org. Uh, just search for Speakers Bureau under the program tab. Uh, her uh, information will be there. You can contact her and uh, ask her to come in and, and speak uh, to your organization. Nancy, it's been a delight to, to uh, know more about you, uh, to uh, hear of your expertise. And uh, we know that people uh, all around uh, in Kentucky or via Zoom will be glad to uh, learn from you also. Thank you for being with us today. I've enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you see some good birds later on this week where you are. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.